and had to sail it back when they had landed their passengers and cargo. The other four were soldiers, trained in guerrilla warfare. Their journey had two objectives, one general and one particular. In general, they were to establish themselves ashore and spend the summer training the local people in the arts of sabotage. In particular, in the following autumn, they were to attack a great German military airfield called Bardufus. In the hold of the boat they had eight tons of explosives, weapons, food, and arctic equipment, and three radio transmitters. As the day dawned they felt as a gambler might feel if he had staked his whole fortune on a system he believed in, except, of course, they had staked their lives, which makes a gamble even more exciting. They believed that in a Norwegian fishing boat they could bluff their way through the German coast defenses, and they believed that with their plans and equipment they could live ashore on that barren land in spite of the Arctic weather and the German occupation, and in those beliefs their lives depended. If they were wrong, nobody could protect them. They were beyond the range of any help from England. So far it had all gone well. So far there was no sign that the Germans were suspicious, but the gleaming mountains which they sighted to the southward, so beautiful and serene in the morning light, were full of menace. Among them the German coast watchers were posted, and soon in the growing light they would see the fishing boat alone on the glittering sea. That morning would put the first of the theories to the test, and that night or the next would bring the boat and its crew to the climax of the journey, the secret landing. At that time in 1943, that remote and thinly populated coast had suddenly had worldwide importance thrust upon it. Normally, in time of peace, there is no more peaceful place than the far north of Norway. For two months every summer there is a tourist season when foreigners come to see the mountains and the laps and the midnight sun, but for the other ten months of the year the people who live there eke out a humble livelihood by fishing and working small farms along the water's edge. They are almost cut off from the world outside, by the sea in front of them and the Swedish frontier at their backs, and by bad weather and darkness and by the vast distance they have to travel to reach the capital of their own country or any other center of civilization. They live a hard life, but a very placid one. They are not harassed by many of the worries which beset people in cities or in more populous countrysides. They take little account of time. But when the Germans invaded Norway in 1940, the thousand miles of Atlantic seaboard which fell into their hands was the greatest strategical asset which they won, and when Russia entered the war, the far northernmost end of the coast became even more important, and even more valuable to Germany. The Allied convoys to the Russian Arctic ports, Arkhangel and Murmansk, had to pass through the narrow strip of open sea between the north of Norway and the Arctic ice, and it was from North Norway that the Germans attacked them, with success which had sometimes been overwhelming. Bardufus was the base for their air attacks and their reconnaissance and the coast itself provided a refuge for submarines, and a safe passage from German harbors all the way to the Arctic Ocean. As soon as the Germans had installed themselves on the northern coast, their position was impregnable. It was a thousand miles from the nearest Allied base, and the country could not have been better for defense. A screen of islands twenty miles wide protects it from the sea, and among the islands are innumerable sounds, through which defending forces could maneuver by sea in safety. The mainland itself is divided by a series of great fjords, with mountainous tongues of land between them. Beyond the heads of the fjords is a high plateau, uninhabited and mostly unsurveyed, 
snow-covered for nine months of the year and across the plateau, marked by a cairn here and there, among its deserted hills, is the frontier of Sweden, which was a neutral country then, entirely surrounded by others under German occupation. To attack the Germans in Arctic Norway with any normal military force was quite impossible. Every island and every fjord could have become a fortress, and if the Germans had ever found themselves hard-pressed in northern Norway, they could have reinforced their position by occupying Sweden, which would not have been to the advantage of the Allies. In these circumstances the voyage, which had come to its end on that March morning, had a possible importance out of all proportion to the size of the expedition. Great hopes of its outcome were held in London. Only four men were to be landed, but they were quite capable, with a little luck, of putting the air base at Bardifos out of action long enough for a convoy to have a chance of getting through undetected, and the time was also...